You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code GATERS and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Only at my bookie. Gators breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me. On this Monday evening is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site readandreaction.com. Well, the first time I've ever made this blunder. I mean, it's something that happens in you know podcasts behind the scenes all the time anyway. But we do 8.30 almost every Monday night. And for whatever reason, I set this one up to record at 8. So everybody in the YouTube chat, thanks for hanging out for 30 minutes. <laughs> way, way, way ahead of time. Uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, I, I did I did fix a pot of coffee. So maybe I knew I was tired at the, at the moment and just... As soon as I come back into the uh, makeshift studio here at the house, I was like, I think I set this for eight accidentally, and uh, I was right. So, my bad, guys. My bad. <laughs> well, you know, we'll give you one time. You know, <laughs> you can do it one time. Other than that, though, we'll have to take you out and, and yell at you like you've been yelling at all the people in the parking lots before these games. It's turning into a weekly tradition now that when you go to these games, you apparently get angry and just shout at people, and, and then Florida goes I'm not angry! Play, play, by three and a half touchdowns. Okay, drunk. And then you're yelling at people, and three and a half touchdowns later, we're, we're all happy. So, you know, got to keep that tradition going. So you'll you'll be at the – Are you? I guess you won't be at the Tennessee game, so we'll have to right. have Sarah get yell at somebody in a parking right. lot for you. Wasn't in Nashville last week either, so it, it works anyway. So it's not, it's not me. It's not me. Um, I, will, I, I will say – it helped Florida beat Georgia. I'll take I'll take some credit there. I'll take some <laughs> I'll, I'll take some credit there. <laughs> there you go, man. Every little bit helps. Uh, yeah, well, we'll plenty to get into uh, to this episode uh, here. Some a lot of uh, you know what Dan Mullen has done and said. Uh, what we'll get into uh, from you know what he what he said to Todd Grantham on Saturday, which we don't know what he said, but we, we can just imagine what he said uh, on the sideline there. What he said uh, post game that game uh, his Monday press conference today as well, uh, and we'll get your thoughts of uh, the Kentucky win in uh, Tennessee coming up as well but before we get there remember you can find gators breakdown news for jacks.com slash gators breakdown you'll find all the gators breakdown episodes there as well as news for jacks coverage of the gators please share rate and review the show on youtube hit that like button right now hit that subscribe button as well it really helps us out here on gators breakdown 
Or if you just want the audio version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And, well, yeah, let's get your initial thoughts versus Kentucky and, and um, what happened on Saturday. Of course, um, going back to your article at Read and Reaction, I'm just going to let you dive into it here just a bit. And I agree with you. Uh, I spoke to it yesterday. I know some fans thought maybe being too critical because uh, it was a win. But still, uh, defense is making progress. Yeah, I mean, I think the defense is making progress. I think they had a rough second quarter. I mean, you look at the second quarter, they gave up 93 yards rushing on 17 attempts, 5.5 yards per rush. That's a bit of a problem, but they only gave up 26 yards passing. In fact, that was their worst quarter overall, giving up passing yards. And and the game was never really in doubt. You figured that the offense was going to eventually get things going. And that was really sort of the big difference in the second quarter. I mean, you look at the second quarter, the Florida offense only had 68 yards. Trask had a couple of passes, and other than that, they were basically three and out or the fumble by shorter or, you know, putting the defense in a rough situation. And this defense can't be put in rough situations, at least <laughs> not against good teams, because it's not it's not a lights out defense. And, and that's sort of what we've been saying now for probably three, four, five weeks is we expect the defense to be better. Kyrie Campbell's come back and it has improved. You can see guys getting better. You can see some of the younger personnel coming in and contributing. So Chris Bogle is one of the guys who's really come in and contributed. You've got to Daryl Slayton, who's really starting to step up, up the middle, getting some push. Um, Brenton Cox looked really good mm-hmm. in the game again, in the, in the game against Kentucky, especially when he had free runs, he made it really difficult for Terry Wilson to, to, to play it, you know, again, I, I look back at what Wilson did a couple of years ago. Obviously, he had Benny Snell, but a couple of years ago, Wilson was unstoppable, and now he couldn't throw the ball at all against this defense. And for as much criticism as the defensive backs have gotten, I think we do need to give them some credit. They gave up 62 yards passing the entire game. The defense gave up an average of 3.6 yards per play, which is on par with some of the best defenses in the country if you give up that over the course of the entire season. So, they give up 10 points. It's the least amount of points Florida's given up all year. The offense, I think, is what sputtered. I mean, if Florida had come out and scored a couple extra touchdowns there in the first half, that you know, a couple of quick strikes instead of three announced, everybody's raving about this game. Yeah. Instead, they had some quick three and outs, the fumble by shorter, long drives by Kentucky that ate up the clock. But part of the reason why they only had six minutes of possession in the first half is the offense didn't possess the ball very much. They had the one long throw to piss, but even that came after a fourth down conversion on a fake punt. So the offense really sort of sputtered in that first half. I think that's kind of what we heard today from the coaches is they weren't real happy with the efficiency of the offense. Kentucky did some things on defense that I think Florida's going to have to find some answers for. Um, And that's maybe the thing I would come out of this game a little bit concerned about is that there does appear to be some, you know, coming out of the Arkansas game, we all thought, all right, there's really no way to stop this offense. Pick your poison. I think that's still true. I think they had sort of an off game, and I think they'd say that. But I think there are some ways to, to stop it. There, if you look at the distribution of Trask's throws behind the line of scrimmage, he threw behind the line of scrimmage a lot more against Kentucky. That was by design and by the defense that, that Kentucky was trying to run. So, um, not, only behind guys, the, not, only, not only behind the line of scrimmage, and I mentioned this yesterday, dude, that, the one drive where it was check down after check down after check down, to to, to make one right. Yeah, well, I mean, so, you know, all season long, he's thrown behind the line of scrimmage 16% of the time. 
Yesterday or two days ago against Kentucky, it was 26% of the time. And from zero to 10 yards, he's been throwing 44% of the time. And he was 45% against Kentucky. But all year long, he's averaged 9.8 yards per throw on those throws. And yesterday on Saturday, he averaged 5.4. So Kentucky was doing a really good job of sort of coming up and basically allowing them to make those short throws, but then making the tackles. And the offense couldn't get on track in the first half. Now, obviously, in the second half, that changed. Part of that was because Kyle Pitts is unguardable. Part of that is also because they got some penalties there, and that especially mm-hmm. on the first drive there in the second half, we're able to drive down the field with, with all the different face masks and stuff like that. But you know, if if uh, if Weaver doesn't get the face mask on that third down sack of Trask, you know, maybe it looks a little bit different. Again, I, I think this was not a complete game by Florida, but. I actually look and say, if I was going to come out and give grades to the different units coming out of this game, the offense would have a worse grade than the defense. And in fact, the defense probably gets the best grade of the year, even though they had sort of that rough second quarter. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 I think you can also grade on a curve a little bit too. <laughs> so, and, sure. yeah, yeah, you know, and saying, okay, and, and also grade on a curve and also not leave that game with worry, as you just kind of said, look, we know the offense, we know what it is, we know what it can be, we know the potential there. You're allowed to have a subpar game. <laughs> we'll give them that. Uh, but we can also critique it at the same time. And, and look, the coaches weren't happy either. You, I mean, after the game Saturday and, and today, you could really tell Mullen uh, was kind of, you know, I, I think, you know, not anywhere in a panic mode, but, you know, just kind of taking them back well uh, with how the offense looked. And in the defense, I think really the, the only complaint for me from the defense was the way they started because some of the issues that we've seen creep up game after game and uh, particularly – Beginning of the game, the first quarter of game early, it was kind of the same mistakes. You had Wilson and Steiner guarding the same (laughs) receiver and leaving uh, an easy conversion there. Uh, But, you know, they settled down. You saw a lot more aggressive play in the second half. You saw a lot less cushion. You saw guys hitting their gaps. And as you said, Will, I think now you brought up a couple players, but now I'm really looking at you're seeing Cox, you're seeing – Slayton, you're seeing Diabate as I think players that you can really point to that every week now we're seeing these guys really come along on this defense. And, you know, I, I, I think you're know, coming along pretty well to, to make this unit pretty, I, I hate to say pretty good or anything like that, but after what we've seen the last couple of weeks, they are progressing. They are playing better. Well, I mean, so Kentucky's offense is pretty much on par with, um, with Vanderbilt's offense, pretty much on par with Arkansas's offense. I think Arkansas is a little bit better when you mm-hmm. look at the overall statistics. And you look at what Florida has struggled with against Arkansas and against Vanderbilt, it was big plays. Obviously, Kentucky struggles to get big plays because they're not a huge passing team. At the same time, no explosive plays for, for Kentucky, no 20-plus yard plays the entire game. And I go back to sort of what we've said is, is Grantham's calling card is having one quarter where he shuts down the opposition. Even in times when his defenses were playing really, really well, rarely did he was he able to shut things down and just get off the field continuously for an entire game, at least against quality opponents. And that's kind of what I think we're seeing here is that this defense has taken a step back from the last couple of years. No one's going to doubt that. No one's going to debate that. Their baseline starting the year was a lot lower than the baseline of the 2018 and 2019 defenses. And they've had to build up. And just like the offensive line last year, I'm not sure anybody really saw the improvement day over day with the offensive line. By the time you got to that Virginia game in the bowl, the offensive line was playing a lot better and Florida was able to run the ball. Hopefully that's the same thing that happens this time, right? Is that we're incrementally seeing the defense improve. And as the defense improves, this team obviously is going to improve. And, and 
again, I go back to, I, I hesitate, like the Vanderbilt game, I was like, all right, you're allowed to have a down game, no big deal. I think people start to get a little bit concerned that it's been two games in a row. Yeah. But again, I sort of go back and look at it and say, the goal this year was to win the East. And the minute they beat Georgia, that was essentially in the bag. And as long as they have the ability to turn it on when they need to turn it on, then no big deal. And the minute Tony returned that kick, the game is over. The game was over the minute Tony returned that kick. All they needed was one big play, and Kentucky didn't have the firepower to stick with Florida. That's probably what's going to end up happening again this week against Tennessee is that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they came out a little bit lackadaisical. It's obviously going to be cold, mm-hmm. and, you know, Mullen's going to be dressed like a polar bear from everything that I, from everything <laughs> that I heard in the, in the press conferences. Hey, I can't blame because I would be too. If it's 50 degrees, I'm, I'm, I'm in a coat. You guys are such wimps. But <laughs> anyway, so, you know, I mean, it's going to be cold. It's going to be a road game against a team. The, the stadium's going to be mostly empty. Um, there's not really a – there's not going to be a buzz in Knoxville like there normally is for the third game of the year because, you know, Tennessee's not going anywhere. Um, this one's obviously for the East, and so maybe that gets them up is that they're able to they're able to clinch the East at the same time. That's, that's the pin for me is, all right, you, you have a chance to go clinch it. but Sure, but, you know, if, if they're up 28 to 10. Right. You know, three minutes into the third quarter, do you really put your foot on their throat, or do you just go, "All right, let's let's coast and and let's work on the run game some more"? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's what they did in this one, right? Yeah. I mean, they had ample opportunities to put the ball in in Trask's hands and chuck the ball and score more touchdowns. They, they would have had zero problem, mm-hmm. um, you know, putting up a couple more touchdowns and making the score look prettier. But they don't need to do that. In fact, they don't need to put up style points in any way shape or form if they lose another game then they're not going to be in the playoff if they win out they're going to be in the playoff and that's the way it is and so style points don't matter what matters is is when you need two yards against alabama are you going to be able to get it and that i think is what some of the quote-unquote conservative game plan at the end of the game was about is you know what we're going to need to actually blow some people off the ball we need to make sure that our backups are able to run block if we if we put them in there let's see what they've got and and let's go from there so i i understand what they were doing there in the in the on the back end it's it's depressing a little bit that they weren't just able to sort of you know announce their presence of authority and say we're going to end this thing by having a seven seven minute drive where we drive right down the field and then shove it down your throat but that's not really florida's that's not really florida's mo it's not florida's offense this year so something to work on obviously but uh not something to be too concerned about yeah i think so that concern you know tennessee's coming up as we said we all the marbles to play for 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 the east anyway and your chance to go and and, and do something you haven't done until 2016 and um, that has to be the motiva- motivating factor this week. And also, I think, you know, they may be hearing the noise of, you know, some of the fan base and some of the media. Hey, what's wrong with the Florida offense? They're only scoring 30 points a game now. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how they re- re- react to that. You know, that was in jest uh, a little bit there. But, you know, uh, you know, Mullen did say it. And Kyle Trask said it today, too. You know, we're, we're, we're not happy with the way we played uh, these last couple games, particularly um, with Kentucky uh, this past week and, you know, defenses are, I'm not going to say figuring out Florida, but they're playing Florida different. And you know, I think ever since you know, the Georgia game where they went, just went on an onslaught and scored you know, at will in the first half versus Georgia, you know, you've seen Arkansas do some things. Florida still put up 60 points a game, but then you started seeing some of those things that Arkansas did kind of translate into what Vanderbilt and Kentucky did. So, yeah, I liken it to – just a ho-hum performance, kind of like Dan Mullen saying. You go back and look at the Arkansas game, doing a whole lot of the same stuff, just dropping guys into coverage, 
But that's what we've seen the last couple weeks as well from Vanderbilt and Kentucky. Now, Arkansas's defense was playing pretty good when when Florida uh, went up to them. You know, just kind of everybody was kind of pointing to it, Barry Odom and, and the job that he was doing with a, a less talented Arkansas defense. But then in the last couple weeks, we've seen Kentucky, we've seen Vanderbilt do some things. Offense slowed down a little bit. But, Will, I, I still think it's it's more about Florida than it is what those defenses are doing. Yeah, I mean, so look, they came out motivated because they wanted to get Pitts the ball because all of Kentucky's DBs had talked <laughs> trash about Pitts all week long. <laughs> Throw the long pass to him, touch down the opening drive at 7 nothing. They were a buzzsaw going down the field again. Um, you know, Trask had just completed a pass to Rick Wells for 16 yards. Naquan Wright runs for five, and then they throw the little uh, the little bubble screen out to Justin Shorter. He gets hit real hard, fumbles the ball, and then you know a six play 38 yard drive later, Kentucky's in for the touchdown. But still, you're sitting there going, okay, they haven't really put a real drive together. And then you know, Florida, the ball went through Malik Davis's hands on a on a little slant. Trash threw it a little mm-hmm. bit high, but Davis should probably catch that ball. They had the one, they had the drive that we thought was going to be the one before the half, where they had the face mask that was called back on a on a screen pass to Grimes. So really, just sort of out of sorts. And they get the return from Tony. But even if they hadn't gotten that return from Tony, let's say they go into the half 10-7. They came out of the, in, the, in that third quarter. Touchdown, field goal, touchdown. I mean, that that's what they did coming out. All of a sudden, it's 31-10 to 10 instead of 14-10. to 10. And then they just sort of coasted from there. And, and I think fans get upset about the coasting. I think fans would like to see them win these games 56-10. to 10. But, you know, here's the reality. Kentucky couldn't do anything. There's no reason to send pits over the middle to get drilled. Like mm-hmm. let's just let's just hand it to our running backs, work on our running game, try to get that aspect of things better, and to be honest, not show anything that we don't want to show or show the things we do want to show, right? That right. like the the throwback to Tony, I think, is something that teams are gonna have to prepare for. They're gonna have to know that's coming. I'm sure that there's a counter to that coming at some point. And the counter hopefully is gonna come against Alabama. And that's that's the only time this team is too good to I mean, they, they should be able to sleepwalk through the next two games, and that's something that I don't say lightly, but yeah. they should, right? I mean, Tennessee should be a game where they go up there, and even if they just decide to play a half, they're still going to win the game. And then the same thing with LSU. LSU's struggling so much right now. Terrace Marshall just just opted out. You know, not a whole lot to play for there in, in Baton Rouge, and you figure them coming to the swamp should be something that Florida's able to take care of business. And then it gets serious, right? I mean, that that's that's where it gets serious. Now, you hope that the team starts sort of sharpening the edge as they get into these last couple of games. I think they will. At the same time, can you forgive them for beating Georgia for the first time in four years? A lot of these guys have never beaten Georgia before. And then they've got Felipe coming to the swamp the week after. So you sort of got up two weeks in a row. And I do wonder whether that sort of led to being down two weeks in a row where, you know, you just used a lot of your energy and we've all had that experience where you use a lot of energy for a particular thing that you're working on. And the next day you're just sort of like, Ugh. well, I mean, that happens to football players too. And I, I suspect that's part of what's happening here, but again, well, not only that, and on that thought, how much are we in the media and fans talking about, Hey, this won't work versus Alabama. This will work versus Alabama. We're looking forward to the Alabama game. You don't think the players are a little bit too. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, don't get me wrong. They probably, they shouldn't be, but as you said, it's human nature. We're all doing it as fans looking forward to, to Florida, Alabama. They can say all the right things in front of the microphone in the media. I'm sure they got one eye on that game in Atlanta. I mean, and it wasn't like this was nine to seven with Austin Harden <laughs> kicking a field goal over Vanderbilt. I mean, they still beat Vanderbilt by what, like 
three to four, three or four touchdowns. You got a 24 point win over Kentucky. These are not small victories. And, and I think we've, we've spoils the wrong word. We we've become used to an offense. That's a buzzsaw. And the expectation is, is that the offense will always be a buzzsaw. But the reality is, is that there are times where defenses are going to have a good game plan where the opposing offense is going to be able to keep you off the field where, you know, maybe you're not quite, ready to go and and so you get a little bit out physical especially in the first half and those sorts of things happen now i think the counter to that would be that well it doesn't seem to happen to alabama well part of that is is that if you don't if you don't do your job on alabama there's three guys behind you who are going to do it and and they can put in and florida doesn't necessarily have that the depth on the florida team is a little bit lacking especially when you compare them to the tide but you know Seven and one, averaging forty-three points per game. I think the defense now actually. So I had compared before this game. I compared yeah. the defense to the two thousand and seven team. And the two thousand and seven team had averaged twenty-eight points per game that they'd given up in SEC play. This team had given up twenty-eight point one until the game against Kentucky. So now they're down around twenty-five. If they can put up another couple of performances like that, then they're going to be better than the LSU defense last year, at least on a scoring margin basis. And we all saw what happened last year when you have an elite-level quarterback and a guy who can torch the opposing defense. Um, you know, you can get away with some shortcomings on the defensive side of the ball. That's been the plan all year, and we'll just have to see whether they can whether they can carry that out. Uh, well, some more good uh, coming out of the after Kentucky game. Uh, here are some numbers uh, Florida sent out. The Gators have beaten four SEC opponents by 20-plus points in the same season for the first time since 2008 when they beat seven SEC teams by at least 20. Florida's 347 points this season mark its fifth highest total through eight games in school history, trailing the 2001 Gators with 359 points. Um, 1995 Gators, 94 Gators, and the 96 Gators as well. Uh, Florida has six consecutive games of 400-plus yards against SEC opponents for the first time since a six-game stretch, which started October 27, 2001 versus Georgia and ended the week after a 418-yard outing at Tennessee in 2002. So it spanned two seasons there. The Gators' seven games of 400-plus total yards against SEC opponents this year are the most they've posted against SEC teams in the season since 2004. The Gators have eclipsed 400 total yards in 19 of their last 25 games. Far cry from what we had seen before. Florida has uh, more more than 35 passing touchdowns in the season for the first time since 2001. We're not even done with the season yet, Will, and 35 passing touchdowns for the, uh, more than 35 passing touchdowns since 2001, for the first time since 2001. Florida has six consecutive 300-yard passing games for the first time since a 14-game stretch, which began with the 2001 Sugar Bowl, spanned the entire 2001 season, and ended the week after the 2002 season opening route of UAB. This is the 16th time. Florida has reached 300 yards passing under Dan Mullen, matching its total from the 156 games compromising 2006 to 2017. Things are pretty good. Yeah. 16 times under Dan Mullen, the Gators have passed for 300 yards. Kind of transitioning that, a few more numbers here. Kyle Trask, his third touchdown pass to to Kyle Pitts, uh, Trask third down, his third pass to Kyle Pitts gave Trask 34 touchdowns on the season, tied him with San Diego State's Dennis Shaw in 1969 and Houston's David Klingler in 1990 
for the third most passing touchdowns through the first eight games of a season in FBS history. Trask's third touchdown pass also tied him with Rex Grossman in 2001 for the third most passing touchdowns in a single season in school history. Trask is the first quarterback in school history to throw three-plus passing touchdowns in eight straight games, breaking Danny Werfel's record of seven in a row in 96. And for Kyle Pitts, became the first Gator since Taylor Jacobs in 2002 with three games of two-plus receiving touchdowns in the same season. His 11 receiving touchdowns this season are the most touchdown catches in a season by any Gator since Jabbar Gaffney had 13 in 2001. Well, those are numbers you expect to hear when Florida's playing Florida State in a normal season after Thanksgiving. This is not a normal season. We haven't played 12 games. <laughs> Florida's only played eight. And Florida State's not playing anymore. And Florida, State, <laughs> Florida State's not playing anymore. Good, good one there, yeah. They're, they're, their season's done after Thanksgiving again for two years in a row, it seems like. Anyway, no, nothing official on that point, but uh, we'll, play, we'll play along with the joke anyway. But, Will, I mean... <sighs> I know we say it every week. We look at these kind of, kind of numbers here, but I mean, now you know, it's not only just trash. You, you got Pitts breaking records as too, but I mean, a lot of this is you know the first time since ninety five, ninety six, two thousand one. But also the the ones that get me are like just you know uh, a crazy that you know, sixteen times since Dan Mullen's been hired, Florida has passed for three hundred yards. Two things about that, Will. First, the, the the obvious is we know the struggles before Dan Mullen got here. And being not even, not even struggling converting a 10 yard pass. Now, 300 yards is likely, but this is this is we didn't expect this under Dan Mullen. We expected total yardage to be up there. We expected, you know, 250 yards rushing and 200 yards passing or, you know, something, something along those lines. The 300 yard passing mark with Dan Mullen being the head coach is. Even going back to the day he was hired, and me loving the hire, I I didn't see this. I didn't see a a, a remake of Dan Mullen because you know the, the type of talent that he had here at Florida and having to to adjust and and, and reaching these t- kind of numbers when he was hired. Yeah, I mean, well, we've seen this show before when he's got Florida level talent. Now you can say that maybe he doesn't have Urban Meyer level talent, but he certainly got you know Will Muschamp or or you know he's got enough talent, right? That he should be able to do some decent things with that. And one of the things we've said repeatedly when we've talked recruiting is that a quarterback can help offset any recruiting deficiencies you might have. And, you know, regardless of why he is where he is right now, Kyle Trask is an unbelievable quarterback. And some of that is due to Mullen, but some of that is just due to Trask. Mm -hmm. And Trask is a really good player who anticipates things really well. You can see him doing advanced things like his shoulders. There was something that came out on Twitter maybe like 30, 40 minutes ago where somebody was showing the the sky cam from the ESPN. And on the throw to Pitts, he basically – it was a little subtle thing, but he kind of tilted his body towards the safety. The safety started running the other direction, and he immediately turned and went to Pitts. He knew where he was going. He baited the safety into it, and he hit that long pass because of it. You know, having that guy under center who can make you look fantastic is is a big part of why Florida is where they're at. But even even when Felipe Franks was in there, the offense was considerably better. The thing, all those stats that you say from an offensive standpoint, though, the thing that it really points to to me, and the thing that kind of worried me coming into this year. So Jim McElwain, his first two years at Florida, 15 and 16, eight close games, so seven or eight points or less, so one score or less, and he won seven of those games. And then in his third year, he had five games that were also close and went two and three in those and then obviously lost big to Georgia and Missouri. 
and Florida State, and so the the season was a disaster because of. Yeah, but we all remember the the one point loss to LSU, the two point loss to Texas A and M, as sort of being the turning point of that 2017 team, and. Th- Teams that are teams that are relying on close wins over time really aren't that great of teams. So Mullen in his first two years had seven close games, six wins in those games. So again, I think we look at 2018 and 2019 and we say those weren't great Gator teams. They happened to win a lot of those close games, but they weren't great teams. And I think that's reflected in terms of losing to Georgia twice, losing to LSU once, mm-hmm. um, you know, losing to Kentucky a couple of years ago when Kentucky was a decent team, but not a great team. Um, I think that's where that sort of got reflected. So that's where I think the big thing, when you start rattling off the number of 20 point wins they've got in the SEC, they haven't had any one score games except for the one against Texas A&M and Texas A&M is a pretty good team. Yeah. And so, you know, I think what that means is it's a mark of an excellent team that, that they're not winning these games 12 to 10 and skating by and everybody going, geez, how are they how are they sort of skating by? Now, I think maybe the perception is that because you're 14 to 10 at the half and everybody's saying what's going on. But this team has the ability to put its foot on the gas in a way that no Gator team has in a real long time. And, you know, even when you think back to to the 2018. I mean, obviously they lose the close game to Old Miss and then turned it on and all of a sudden everything was two touchdowns or more. It's kind of what we've seen since the AM game here. It's being done in a different way. That 2008 defense was a lot better than this 2020 defense. But at the same time, that's to me what the big wins really reflect. And then that flows from those big wins, especially because they're having to rely on their offense, flows all the stuff you're talking about, the 11 touchdowns for Pitts, being able to get all the different receivers involved, having running backs who are catching the ball out of the backfield, all three of them, you know, Trask in the running for the Heisman Trophy. All that stuff is is sort of the, the confluence of having the right quarterback and then just having an excellent team overall and being able to win those games by more than a touchdown, at, heck, more than two touchdowns most of the time. Well, I'll, I'll throw some for, for the defense's way, too. Coming out of that Kentucky game, Florida had three interceptions for the second time this season. Also had three against Georgia. Uh, the, the Gators were one of five FBS teams last year with at least three interceptions in three different games. So, there we go. Uh, that would be the, the next feat to see if they can do that. Uh, the Gators held Kentucky to just two of 13 on third down. No third in Grantham this game at 15.4%, and they did not allow the Wildcats to convert a third or fourth down in the second half, a combined 0 for 6 there. Florida has allowed three or fewer third down conversions four of the last five games, Will. So when it was a big, big, big issue versus Texas A&M, Florida's rebounded there. And don't get me wrong, I mean, opponents are part of it. These offenses, Ole Miss and Texas A&M, are two of the best offenses in the SEC uh, right now, Florida reflected that, but the you know, defense has gotten better as well. So I think that's I think it's about half and half of where you want to contribute the defense getting better and then also playing uh, some better uh, or not as good offenses as they did at uh, the beginning part of the season as well. Uh, Kentucky's 221 total yards were the fewest Florida allowed all season. So a season high or season low there for the Gator defense. Florida allowed just 46 total yards, shut out Kentucky in the second half. More than half of Kentucky's total yards, 120, came in the second quarter when we know they held the ball for over 12 minutes. Well, a couple getting into some players here. Mamou Diabate's interception. I mean, I talked about it a little bit yesterday. Didn't really get to highlight it too much. Uh, but in the third quarter, his first interception of his career, spying Wilson, kind of just laying back of there, hung back. Wilson never saw him. You know, a little drag route that was coming there. And he never sees Diabate. Good call uh, and play there by the defense, especially after you know Florida had beaten by 
was beaten by Wilson's legs earlier in the game on a third down. You make an inter- make a nice adjustment, nice interception there from Mamoudi Abate. Good to see him coming along. Travis Johnson's interception in the fourth quarter was the first of his career as well. James Houston tied his career high for a third time with eight tackles, uh, two and a half tackles for loss. And then Tadero Slayton as well, career high seven tackles. So Kyrie Campbell makes his season high of, t- of tackles, I think, two weeks ago versus Vanderbilt. Tadero Slayton, another inside cog of that defensive line, career high in, in tackles this week. Those were That's what we're talking about when we sit here and say we see progress on this defense. Is they, there is progress. I know – and myself included, would go to the beginning of the game and see the issue and the same issues of lining up and soft coverage and confusion for whatever reason. But they do, they have found a way to settle down and come up with some pretty good second half performances. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pat them on the back too much. I think, you know, 10 points just speaks for itself, really, in an SEC game. That's that's a good performance. Though against Kentucky, that's not that's what you should probably expect. <laughs> right. I mean, now, again, I predicted 17, so they were sort of in line with what I thought. They've now outperformed my prediction two weeks in a row after underperforming it pretty pretty consistently all year long. It will, um, and I'm, I'm going to stress this again. Sometimes we've got to give credit for doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think we can we can talk about that, right? Because I think there are certainly still times where guys don't know where they're supposed to be, yep. whether that's because calls coming in late, whether that's because they just don't know what they're supposed to be doing. I don't know. Those <laughs> things are going to have to get fixed against Alabama because there's no way you can give a you can give a wide receiver you, you can't be running over to cover the wide receiver when the ball snapped and not get beat. And Mac Jones is going to hit that and he's going to hit it deep because they'll they'll slide adjust off of that and just say screw it, we're going yep. deep if we see him <laughs> if, if we see him off a little bit. So those things need to get fixed right we can't paper over that what i would say is if you're starting to look for the positives obviously slayton is one of the ones we've mentioned you just mentioned him i mentioned him a little bit earlier getting in there especially on those third and one third and twos and being disruptive behind the line of scrimmage when he knows it's the run that's about to come he's a really disruptive force but the other thing that that does is that frees up the linebackers diabate is not a very big linebacker but he's got incredible closing speed and so the fact that Kyrie campbell and daryl slayton are starting to occupy multiple offensive linemen by being being disruptive means that Diabate is having the opportunity now to run around and roam free. And if you look at some of the plays where Terry Wilson got uncomfortable, there were some plays where Brenton Cox was able to get in there and make him uncomfortable, but there were also some plays where Diabate was able to get in there, make him uncomfortable, just because his closing speed from being five yards off the line of scrimmage, getting to the quarterback is so significant. And even James Houston, I mean, eight tackles, two and a half tackles, tackles for loss. There were a few times where he got caught up. The one, the fourth down conversion where Marco Wilson came up and made the tackle and, and yeah. pushed the guy out of bounds. That's that's Houston's guy, and he was nowhere near him because <laughs> he got sort of picked on the route and didn't really have the recovery speed to get over there. But again, that's sort of, that's not a scheme thing. That's a, we're limited in terms of who we've got at that particular position. So, um, yeah, I, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing overall while still going the oh man well while still going did you guys see bama last night <laughs> like I mean, and, and i think that's where all fans are right is that you got the win over georgia i think if if you if you told fans at the beginning of the year that your offense would be completely unstoppable the defense would struggle you'd make it to the sec championship game at 10 and, or at, at nine and one and then you'd play a competitive game with alabama but you'd lose because alabama's quarterback just lit things up i think you'd say 
that's a pretty successful year. Problem is, once you actually get to that SEC championship game at nine and one, and you're playing Alabama, you want to beat Alabama, and so you, you look at it and say, how that's the gold star in the SEC, Georgia is I suppose the barrier you had to get over in the East, but they aren't the shining star in the SEC. The shining star in the SEC is Nick Saban. The shining star is, is Alabama. And that's, that's the goal. And so when, when Dan Mullen comes into the program talking about the Gator standard, he's not talking about winning the SEC East. Jim McElwain did that. Mm -hmm. And granted the SEC East is more difficult than when McElwain was winning the East, but Florida fans aren't, aren't, aren't satisfied with SEC East titles. And they aren't, and, to be honest, I'm not sure they're going to be completely satisfied with SEC titles, except for that it means you're in the playoff. But um, you know, so that's the gold star. That's what we're pointing towards. And that I understand why people would look at this and go, mm, that's going to be a problem if we can't line up. Mm, that's going to be a problem if we've got safeties one-on-one with with high-quality receivers. You know, Those are things that Florida's going to have to figure out. How are they going to manage that? Part of it is working the younger guys in, but part of it is, is that when you don't have a spring, it's very difficult to work the younger guys in, and, and so I think we're seeing some of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I asked Mullen today about the growth of Mambu Diabate, and it brought up he brought up something you brought up last week on the podcast, and it's these young players. If you're if you're a young player to go out there and prove yourself on defense, if you want to go out there and play linebacker more, if you want to go out there and play defensive end more, maybe you should make your way out on special teams, and that's the example Dan Mullen brought up of Mambu Diabate. You can see his pursuit, you can see his speed on kickoff returns and punt returns. And it's translating into what we're seeing as going up and filling a gap or, you know, coming up and blitzing and being in the backfield by the time right almost after uh, Kentucky running back gets the handoff. I mean, it was <laughs> – Mullen had no bones about it. Go out there and play special teams and you'll get on the field more if you, if, if you run those reps. Yeah, I mean, I love to hear it, obviously, because I'm a special teams guy. But also, you know, there are a couple of people posting some things on Twitter after the Vanderbilt game thinking that they were going to get a little bit more playing time probably during that game. And the response I had was, well, go show it on special teams, right? That that the um, there are a few things you can control. There, there are a bunch of things you can't control. You can't control who's in front of you. You can't control whether the coach happens to like one guy better than you, even if you think you're better. The thing you can control is effort. And when they put you out on special teams, that's a pure effort thing, right? It's the guy who's going to go 100% on special teams every time and 100% in practice. There you go. I say, or, or, or effort in practice. Yeah, or effort in behind the scenes. So the guy, the guy who's putting in 100% effort in both of those situations, practice and on special teams, every rep, is the guy that the coach, if it's if it's 50-50, is going to go with that guy, right? And, and so um, that is an area where you can prove yourself. It's an area where you gain respect from the coach because he knows that if he puts you in on defense, that even if, you're make, even if there are busts in coverage, even if you're jumping out of the gap, even if you're in the wrong place, he knows you're putting in the effort so that it's not going to happen the next time, that you're going to learn from the mistake and that that mistake isn't going to propagate down the line. You know, so I, I don't know any of these guys personally. I don't know anything going on behind the scenes. I don't think it's a coincidence that Mullen called out one of his younger guys for excelling on special teams and said, yeah, that's why he's in the game. Um, I, I suspect that that is a message to the team, that if you want to get on the field, get your butt on special teams, start working harder, be consistent in your effort on special teams, do the right things from a scheme perspective on special teams, and you'll start finding yourself in the game. And we have seen younger guys get worked into the scheme as as the season's gone along. You mentioned Travez Johnson. Um, certainly Cox has been there the entire year, but Diabate did not start as a linebacker. I mean, he was playing as a linebacker, but he was not a starting linebacker. He's been getting a lot more reps. Um 
you know, Amari Bernie's been rotated out a lot more as Diabate has gotten more playing time, right? That's that's sort of pushed Houston and and uh, Miller and Bernie all sort of in the same role. And so Bernie's starting to get squeezed out a little bit, and that's just because Diabate is getting more playing time because he's earning it. And, you know, that's what you want to see is when you put a young guy out on the out on the field, you want to see not just the explosive play. You want to see the consistent play. Was he in the right gap? Did he do what he was supposed to do for his assignment? All those things that we as fans have a rough time seeing because unless there's a real error, it's often hard to tell whether a guy did what he was supposed to do on a particular play. It's easy to see if the linebacker jumped out of his gap, if the guy, if the opposing team <laughs> gashes you on the play. But if he jumps out of his gap and they get lucky, like there's penetration by Slate and then he makes a tackle in the backfield. But if the running back had gotten by Slate and it would have been a 30-yard run because the linebacker got out of his gap, that's something that the coaches are going to know. That's not necessarily something we're going to see unless you're really looking closely. And, you know, again, I'm not – saying linebacker specifically i'm just saying that when it comes to the film i think that's where maybe the young guys not getting time comes from is is that there are things when they put them in the game they've seen them make mistakes that they need to have fixed to put them in there long term and you know the idea that it's not going to get any worse will it well you know look we're starting to see the defense improve so all those people who wanted all the young guys in because it can't get any worse well you would have not seen any of this improvement had you done that yeah, good point. Good point there. We'll get into uh, what, uh, a lot of what uh, Mullen had to say as well on his Monday press conference. We'll uh, wrap up the episode with that. But before we do, whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with my bookie for years, there's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up and get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. My bookie also boasts a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is that my bookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the games are over. Make the right play, sign up today at my bookie, and when you do, use promo code Gators to get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to a thousand bucks. Terms are simple: say you put in two hundred bucks, they'll match you with another hundred dollars in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season with promo code Gators at my bookie. So, Will, we'll wrap it up here. And uh, Mullen was asking you know, where the team could get better and how much leadership's on this team. And that's why they're still on track to win the SEC East, win the SEC, compete for a college football playoff spot. So, uh, he was asked where the team could get better. And he said, you know, weren't very efficient offensively. Fit on some of this, you know, because it, but it was very interesting. And, and, I think it caught when we were all in the Zoom call. Uh, I could see you know, a little bit of reaction here. Mullen says they didn't hit any of their goals going into the game against Kentucky. And then he was asked a follow up question later on what are those goals? And he wouldn't share those goals. But, uh, but he just pretty much said, you know, they didn't play very well there, uh, just didn't play at the high level and weren't very efficient. Two punts, missed field goal, two turnovers. Not very good offensively. Got to get back to being consistent and efficient offensively. One thing I'll take away from that, and Nick brought it up on the podcast yesterday, fumbles. I mean, the big one, of course, at the beginning of the season versus Texas A&M, but it wasn't really an issue beginning of the season well we've seen that kind of creep up the last couple weeks now uh with there and it's you know that's we're talking about the offense not putting up as many points well partly because not Kyle Trask throwing interceptions but there's been some fumbles uh there from from the Gator playmakers that have killed some drives for the Gators 
yeah, I mean, shorter got drilled. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, it happens. Where you're like, <laughs> that's one where you're like, you know, the guy puts his helmet right on the ball. Yeah. I mean, you, you could hear it. In fact, you heard the crowd, you heard the people who were there sort of go, whoa, when he got hit. So, I mean, it, 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 that one was a pop. And, and every once in a while, you're going to fumble the ball. That's just sort of the, the long and short of it. The Naquan Wright fumble just sort of looked like it was, you know, bad ball security. He didn't have, he, he was in a scrum, you know, he sort of had his back turned to the line of scrimmage. A guy came in, sort of tapped it with his left hand and out comes the ball. Those sorts of things can't happen, right? I mean, when you're the running back and you're surrounded by more than one defender, you got to have both hands on the ball. You can't let the ball out. That being said, when you're up by 21 points, <laughs> you know, that's the time to have that happen. It's the time to have a learning experience. And, you know, I would have preferred Malik Davis have his learning experience against Arkansas. Right. Instead of, instead of <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but that's the thing, right? Is that mistakes are going to happen. You, you, you know, the quarterback's going to make a bad throw at some point and it's going to turn into a pick. And all of a sudden you're going to have to recover from that. And, and that's the key is can the defense come out and make a decent stop? They weren't able to do it in this particular case. Um, the big thing that I, so obviously when you start thinking about the goals, I think Mullins goals would be no, no turnovers, yep. no drives that would end because of penalties. So you had the 15 yard face mask that, that set them back. I think when they had the two minute drill, to, to end the first half, they screwed that up, um, had to punt the ball. They wound up pinning him down at the one, but, you know, they should have been able to drive down the field there. Well, like it's, a it's, it's a situation time. they've been able to hit most, yep. most of the season. Yeah, and, you know, they've been really good in short yardage this year, but against Kentucky they weren't great, especially there in that third and fourth quarter when they were trying to run the ball. So, you know, they had the one explosive play. I think it was, what, like 38 yards for Damian Pierce. Got my explosive run. Yay. Yeah, well, we need like three or four of them. <laughs> yeah. They still only wound up with 104 yards rushing. Yep. And, uh, you know, if 38 of them come on one, then that means you haven't been real effective the rest of the time you've been mm-hmm. running the ball. Um, so, you know, the, the ball that Emory Jones threw across the middle, I think everybody was like, wow, he really gunned that one. But if he'd have hit him in stride, it would have been a touchdown yep. instead of throwing it a little bit low and Wells had to go down and catch it off the turf. Um, you know, so, I, yeah, I mean, I understand why he would go and say, hey, I'm a perfectionist. I'm going to nitpick this stuff. You know, Graham and – Graham and, and uh, Nick mentioned it yesterday that Mullen just sort of sees the things that can be corrected and sort of glosses over the things that he should laud people for. And that's kind of his personality. I think that's kind of what people end up having to get used to. That's one of the reasons probably why Trask is so good in in this system is that he, he is very receptive to that sort of stuff. I mean, Trask could make this about him that, you know, Hey, I'm trying to get the Heisman. Yeah. Let's pump me up. And he's never, he's never indicated that he wants that. Mullen certainly doesn't seem to be willing to do it. So. um, Well, and I'm glad you asked about that. That what, what game was it? Was it, um, was it the the Missouri game or was it the, the I think it was the Arkansas game. Yeah, the Arkansas game where Kyle Trask is playing so good, throws a touchdown pass, comes to the sideline, and Dan Mullins, Dan Mullins coaching him right there on the sideline. And I think Florida was I think that was like their twenty eighth point or something of the, uh, of the game or something like that. And I, I had two radio interviews that week, and people were like, "Hey, what?" They were basically asking, "Wait, what's Dan Mullins' problem?" I'm like, "There, there is no problem. He's he's." coaching his quarterback I mean I don't understand I mean there's there there's a reason Kyle Trask is so good right now and he's getting that coaching from Dan Mullen and then look yes he could do yes he's doing things well yes he's playing well in that moment there's still teaching moments there's still maybe a play earlier in the drive to where you know you had a touchdown two or three plays before that I mean coaching never stops nor should it ever stop and the the critique of hey why is why is Mullen so heavy on him I'm like I, I didn't see it that way maybe it's my 
aren't you blue glasses? Maybe, you know, whatever. But I'm just like, it's, it, it kind of got overblown outside of Gainesville, in my opinion. Well, I mean, Mullen's an interesting cat, right? I mean, he, he is, he is seen as a quarterback guru. Um, I think he's sort of proven based on what he's done with Dak Prescott and Kyle Trask and Nick Fitzgerald and Tim Tebow and Alex Smith, that there's at least some, something to that, right. That, that he prepares his guys to be able to do things that they need to do to get to the next level. And in order to do that, like, look, the NFL is not, is not a place where somebody comes up and gives you a hug. When you throw an interception, they cut you. And, you know, so Mullen is really sort of preparing his guys for that level of critique. And I think that's probably a good thing for them. Now, I mean, you know, they're, they're different, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. Right? I mean, Bobby, Bobby Bowden was not going to come and rip into somebody on the sideline for throwing an interception. He was, you know, all dead gum and he'd go over and give the guy a hug. And, you know, <laughs> and then he'd let his, his assistants rip him a new one when nobody had him on camera. So maybe that's a little bit different. But yeah, you know, the, I, I saw Mickey Andrews do that plenty of times. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, I mean, I, I think it, it really boils down to just different coaches have different styles. Mullen's style from an offensive side seems to be aggressive when it comes to his quarterbacks. But I mean, he's got the track record to back it up. And so if you're a quarterback thinking about coming to Florida and you go, hmm, do I want to play for this guy? He's going to push me even when I'm playing at a Heisman level. Then the question is, do you or don't you? And you get to make that decision. And that, I think, has always been Mullen's sort of point when he talked about recruiting, when he took that shot at Kirby Mm. about, like, telling people things and then it being different when you get there. You know. Again, Mullen's kind of a strange cat anyway. I think everybody sort of the Cousin Eddie memes and that sort of stuff are, are amusing, but they, they fit a little bit. He's, he's a little bit awkward at times, right? And, well, and also the, the joke about shouting the shouting match with Grantham. I was like, yeah, he put his Christmas lights up too early. I mean, <laughs> it was right after the game. He's joking, but and I actually liked it. I was like, okay, you know, like I, I know fans want to hear what you said to him and all that stuff, but I'm like, look, he – he he knows when to get serious. He knows like he's not going to come out, and he was pretty much asked about it again today uh, about the whole the Grantham shouting match and stuff. He's he's proven it time and time again. He's not going to come out there and, and berate his staff and berate his players out there in front of the media. So it it, it is what it is. So he's he's going to have fun with it at when when he sees an opportunity to. Yeah, well, so tomorrow or his next news conference, he'll show up dressed as Darth Vader to, talk, to say he's not going to talk about what he what he said to Grant. Look, again, I go back to he's he's an interesting dude. He's different than most other coaches who are out there. I think that's part of what makes him tick because he's able to he's able to come up with some unique things that other people don't. Probably some unique ways to teach it. But yeah, he's hard on his quarterbacks. I mean, that that's the reality. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize what he's done with quarterbacks because mm. look at what his quarterbacks doing right now, right? Yep. And if, if it takes yelling at Trask to get him to do that and Trask is okay with it. I mean, that's the thing, right? If Mr. Trask, Mrs. Trask, and Kyle Trask are okay with the way Dan Mullen's treating his kid, then he's obviously getting the best out of him and more power to him. Yep. Defensively, uh, what he had to say, kind of mentioned it there. He goes, but they missed some run fits in the run, they missed some fits in the run game early on with guys getting out of a gap, uh, something they got to work on uh, or this week to clean up. They've done that well at, at, at other times, but different schemes and personnel matchups create different problems. And this is kind of where. I get aggravated a, a little bit, I guess, with the, uh, the the defense a bit because the things they have to look at didn't give up many big plays. We'll give them credit there. We did that before. He said that was something they they have improved on uh, from the week before. But why does it seem the slow starts are just kind of a given now? And why does why do you have to make the adjustments? Like why why can't you come out and play that way? You know, Kentucky didn't put anything on. Kentucky didn't do anything at the beginning of that game that they didn't do the Alabama the week before, that they haven't done all season, 
They were missing two offensive linemen. And like I said, I've given this defense credit. I love the way they bounce back, but should they even have had to bounce back? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what you want me to say. I, know, like, we, well, I mean, we've hit on it. A lot of it's repeating now. Yeah, but They're not great. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, here's the reality. They're not great. They're not a shutdown defense. You might get a shutdown defense for a quarter. You might get a shutdown defense for a half. Asking them to do it for a full game is probably not a reasonable ask for this defense at this particular point, whether it be because of youth, inexperience, no spring practice, grant them scheme, whatever it is. It's not a reasonable thing to ask. Now, they did make adjustments going from the first half to the second half. They were much more aggressive in terms of being up on the receivers. Yep. But there's but there's a catch-22 with that, too, is if you're your guys can't cover and you play that kind of aggressive defense against Bama, you're going to get, you're going to get destroyed. And, and so, you know, I guess the, the alternative is where well, you're going to get destroyed on like, you know, little, little <laughs> slants anyway. And yes, there are some things that need to be cleaned up in terms of, in terms of those sorts of things. I don't have an answer for you. If I had an answer for you, they'd be paying me one and a half million dollars <laughs> to go coordinate the defense. Or I, you know, Hey, if they just want to pay me 200 grand to come be an analyst, I'll be happy to do it. There isn't an answer. The answer okay. is is that the answer is is that the defensive coordinator needs a spring and a fall practice apparently to get his team prepared yeah. to execute his scheme. And when people have asked him about his scheme, he is he has indicated it's not too complicated. But then we have seen that the scheme is too complicated, and when they've made it less complicated in the second half, the defense has played better. But um, you know the the same the problem is is that when you start playing up. You're going to get beat for big plays. So you but look this at is, it, and this we, is the game you should have been able to, though. Well, sure, but I mean, what are you learning? <laughs> so if you got a little brother who's 100 pounds lighter than you, yeah, like what are you what are you proving if you beat the crap out of him, right? <laughs> like, like what have you really proven? And and so um, you know you don't you're not going to go change. You don't have time in a college season to go change your scheme week to week. You can make slight adjustments. You can do a few things based on the personnel. If the head coach says, Hey, I don't want Kentucky to score again. You can say, okay, we know what to take away and we know how to beat them. But, and it sort of goes to the point of running the ball in the second half, right? Like Florida didn't need to run the ball. Just put the ball in Trask hands and let them throw, let them chuck the ball around. You beat Kentucky by 60. But, Running the ball is going to be necessary later in the year. Let's work on things. And I think on the defensive side of the ball, you can say that too. Mm -hmm. Are slow starts aggravating? Absolutely. Do I wish the defense was better? Absolutely. Do I have an answer? No, I don't. And I I think at the end of the day, it's just something we're going to have to live with. And, you know, I think everybody is a little bit pensive about what's going to happen when they play a top three offense, which is what Alabama is. You already mentioned the way they got torched against A&M and Ole Miss, and those are the best defense, best offenses, both on a yards per play basis, but also on a third down conversion basis. And, court, and are, quarterback basis. That too. So, yeah, it's going to be a real challenge. But one of the nice parts is if you fell behind by eight points or nine points when you had a McIlwain or a, or a Muschamp offense, the game was over. Mm-hmm. Now you fall behind by two touchdowns. You're like, we still got a shot. And that's something that Florida hasn't had and something they're going to have to have. Right. I mean, but when you start looking at percentages in terms of your ability to take advantage of that, I, you know, I can see a scenario where Florida maybe gets a turnover, forces a punt. Mac Jones makes an overthrow. All of a sudden Florida's up 14, nothing. That game looks a lot different. Um, but I, I can see it the other way too, yeah. right? As Trask gets hit because they can't block a three man rush, you know, turns the ball over and Alabama's up 14. Now just, the nice part is that we actually have hope. I don't know that we had hope against Alabama back in 2015 and 2016. I think we have hope that Florida can compete. And so we're looking at these little things saying, 
or not even on the defense, maybe not little things, but we're looking at these things saying we're not going to be able to get away with that against better teams. Hey, two games left. Let's see if they fixed it, right? They fixed it in the second half against Kentucky. They have they have systematically gotten better as the year has progressed. It has just been against teams that are worse offensively. Tennessee is sort of the same thing, right around the same level as Vanderbilt and Kentucky from an offensive standpoint. They do things a little bit differently, but a similar type of offense, at least from a ranking perspective. So let's see. Maybe they give up three to the volunteers, and we're saying, hey, more improvement. Maybe they give up 24, and we go, oh, crap. <laughs> we need to improve. Uh, you know, The data points have all been trending in the right direction. Until they start trending in the wrong one, I'm, I'm not going to get too up in arms about it. Yeah, well, I, well, I think what it is, and we've kind of mentioned it a little bit, looking at the, the, the through the lens of uh, you know what's going to happen versus Alabama. But, you know, it's a delicate line. We haven't seen and we haven't had this much fun watching a Gator football team in quite some time. The last couple years have been fun. Don't get me wrong, but this is at a different level. This offense is historic for the Florida Gators. And it's a delicate line of still trying to enjoy it, something we haven't had for quite some time. And knowing, you know, what's 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 ahead in, in, in about three weeks. So. I don't. I, I can't tell people how to how to enjoy the game of football and enjoy watching it. I do say try to enjoy it. Try to enjoy what we're seeing right now because we haven't seen it in quite some time. But as you said earlier, Mullen's opening press conference and Gator fans' expectations, the Gator standard. You know, we we, we know where this team wants to be, has to be, where the fan base wants it to be. It's a delicate, delicate line of enjoying it and knowing what's coming up. Yeah, I mean, so what I would encourage people, or at least the way I've been trying to think of it, is think about it being the 2006 team, right? That 2006 team was an excellent team. And by the time they had the block against South Carolina, you were like, all right, we've we've got a shot here at getting where we want to get to. But that team beat South Carolina 17-16, Vanderbilt 25 to 19, Florida State 21 to 14, Arkansas 38 to 28, and I think a lot of people forget that we were sort of on pins and needles in that Arkansas game until the fake punt. That team only beat Georgia 21 to 14. So that was not a great Gator team, mm-hmm. but they improved from the time they lost to Auburn and then all of a sudden sort of started progressing. And by the time they got up against Ohio State, we're, a, we're an excellent team and obviously a buzzsaw there in that in that Ohio State game. But even against Arkansas, Arkansas was a good team that year and Florida was able to beat them. And I think we've sort of jumped ahead to 2008, right? We saw 2007 where the defense couldn't stop anybody. And then you had 2008 and the loss to Ole Miss was so deflating. And then the offense just came out and started, you know, buzzsaw on everybody and go all the way to the national championship. That 2008 team, the, the Ole Miss loss kind of, I think, brought people's expectations back. But still, I mean, that, that was an unbelievable ride. I think people appreciated it. 2009, though, I remember that being something where – What's wrong with the offense? Why can't the offense progress? You know, the offense isn't as good. And that's a team that went 12-0 and until it went to face um, – or 11-0 and until it went to face Alabama in the SEC championship game. And, I, you know, if you talk to the players on that 0-9 team, I think they'd tell you that it was a little bit of a slog. And I don't want it to turn into that for this team. This team is – you know, yeah. think about where we were against Kentucky last year with Felipe Franks getting injured, Kyle Trask coming in. I think we all thought Emory Jones was going to come in, and instead he got Trask coming in. Trask turns into one of the best quarterbacks Florida's ever had over the year and a half that he's been able to start. Um, 
you know, and and just from the standpoint of losing your starting quarterback to going eleven and two last year to beating Georgia this year, like it's like that should be a lot of fun. And and so I hope people are enjoying it. I hope they're enjoying the fact that we're getting a transcendent performance from a quarterback. Um, certainly, there are a lot of people pushing for the Heisman Trophy for for Kyle Trask, especially online, and and deservedly so. And those seasons don't come along that often. And we got. We got a little bit spoiled in that we won the 2006 title with Tebow in a sort of supplementary role. Then he comes in and wins the Heisman in 07. Then he wins the national championship in 08. And then he was excellent again in 09. You know, we're not going to get Trask for that extended period of time. So you got to enjoy it while you have it. And and hopefully people have that opportunity. Yep. And as we wrap up here, well, you know, Mullen also mentioned today that with everything the team has dealt with this season, he credits the the leadership uh, for, you know, for, uh, to, to extending to mental preparation and mental toughness for why the Gators are, you know, the, why they're keeping the Gators on track you know, to play for it all. And look, we know it, it's been a weird season. Everyone's everyone's had to deal with it differently, and you can see why you know the defense started slow and they've rebounded a bit. Uh, now, if you listen to me enough uh, out there, you know not not satisfied with where it's at overall, but they've gotten better. Need to fix the consistent issues on offense. You know, in, in a time where COVID hit. In, in the first half of the season when the offense was rolling, you could see where the offense maybe had some sort of letdown games versus Missouri and Georgia as they try to get back in sync. They come out firing. And, and yes, they've had a couple subpar for them performances, but we know we know bad offense when we see it. And this is not a bad offense by any stretch of the imagination. So Yeah, so I think the Chicago Bears would take the Florida offense right now. Um <laughs> Anybody who watched that game last night just walked out of that saying, oh, my God, I can't I can't imagine. Look, we're scoring 43.4 points per game, 43.4 points per game. If you can't have fun watching that, I don't know what to tell you. And the other thing is, as we're approaching the holidays, like these guys don't necessarily get to go home and see their families. They don't get to experience the, the holidays. They don't get to do that anyway during the regular season. But certainly with COVID, that's sort of exacerbated it. And I can tell you, I'm feeling it. Right. Like I'm feeling the fact that we haven't been able to go see my folks. I'm feeling that I haven't been able to get away and go down and see a game because of COVID restrictions. I'm feeling that the governor of of Pennsylvania decided, hey, you're not allowed to have anybody over at your house during (laughs) during Thanksgiving and those sorts of things. I mean, you know, these sorts of things wear on people. And when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you don't have sort of 30 years of experience to sort of reach back and say, all right, how do I deal with this set of circumstances? So there are people who probably have family members who've gotten sick over the course of the year. are players who got COVID through, you know, three, four, five weeks ago, who, um, whose family are concerned about them and they're having to sort of deal with that. Um, yeah. So I, again, I, I go back and I look at, look at Michigan, look at Penn state, yeah. look at, look at, you know, look at some of these teams that have just been terrible this year. Look at the team, and, look at the team two and a half hours to your West. Well, but that's been happening the past couple of years. That's not just this year. So they're going to blame it on COVID, but they only got two wins this year, Dave, too. That's true. So uh, no one's making fun of four and seven anymore after this debacle. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, they're (laughs) – the there's a lot worse positions you could be in. In fact, look at the team up in Athens. You could be in that situation, yeah. right? Where where we're sitting there going, oh, we got a really good defense, but we can't figure out what to do at quarterback. Like Florida does not have that situation at all. We've been there. And, we've been there. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> we've been there with a with a Saban disciple and a lights out defense who <laughs> couldn't score. Gee, that sounds like a familiar story. So, yeah, look, I I think I think there are a lot of reasons slash excuses for the team to have letdowns. There are reasons slash excuses for the team to sort of come out flat from time to time in situations where maybe we wouldn't expect them to. At the end of the day, 
all they have to do is win. Yep. And you know, it's it's Raiders, right? Just win, baby. That's all you got to do. It whether is. it's yep. whether it's two to nothing or whether it's forty eight to nothing, it doesn't really matter. You just have to win. Yep. Still on track. Still on track. Well, that's all we can ask for uh, at this moment. So, all right. Well, what you got coming up at Reading Reaction this week? Yeah, so I got a preview on the uh, on the Tennessee game that'll be coming out in the next day or so, and then uh, and then I got something special. I'm going to be looking at some of the uh, some of the offensive line play, and I'm sure that uh, it'll it'll lead to some consternation. But I've got some opinions about the offensive line and and how Florida maybe should address some of the things that we've been seeing recently, and and uh, we'll see where that goes. All right, that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site readandreaction.com. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>